the hell are you supposed to be? Christmas, for the first time, America's most exciting and legendary motion picture hero comes to the screen like you've never seen him before. The Bat! In an all-new, larger-than-life feature film. Now, the Dark Knight confronts his newest and most menacing villain. Your angel of death awaits. The Phantasm. I want you. And faces his greatest danger. Be too careful with all those weirdos around. A soaring new adventure. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. The animated movie. Coming for a Christmas you'll never forget. All right. Here we are three minutes into Comic Book Movie Guy, the podcast segment series, The Scale. Now, we're three minutes into episode three, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Now, I come to you live from the three-minute mark simply because I had so much I had to add in there uh, at the start before I even, you know, touched on the good, the bad, you know, setting up the episode because this movie is special. And I didn't want to just use the old-school trailer from YouTube. I decided to throw in... uh, my favorite scene in the movie, uh, which is, you know, ultimately when Joker is captured and, you know, he knows he's, he's captured and he just lets out that maniacal laugh. And, you know, you have the perfect little blend in there of, you know, Batman's voice and you just get a sense of the power uh, surrounding that scene. It's a powerful, powerful scene. And let me tell you this, I also had to add in the very beginning operatic score from Danny Elfman. Now, Danny is, he's done all the Batman movies, essentially, that we know from that era of time in the 1990s. And this one is easily my favorite. And, you know, 
sit back, relax, and you know what? Skip back to the front of the episode, to the start of the episode here, and just re-listen to that because it is beautiful. And I hope maybe even after you finish the episode, you go back to the very beginning and you just listen to that score for this movie. And this is an animated movie, guys. Like Batman Mask of the Phantasm is... Uh, 1993, and it came after some success on the Batman, the animated series. So they brought back the full cast from the animated series, the voice actors, and you get guys like Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill in there. And that combination, as we all know, is just one of the best uh, Batman-Joker collaborations we'll ever get. And I'm so glad that they made a like a feature film like this was released on Christmas Day back in 93 and it was a massive hit um so yeah let's dive right into it we're going to do the good versus the bad segment series the scale and I'm really excited to get into this one and you'll find out really quick uh where I sit with this specific movie all right I'm going to start with the bad on this episode. We're going to change it up a little bit. Last week's episode of Batman Returns, 1992, Tim Burton's sequel to Batman 1989, we did the good first, but today I'm going to switch it up and do the bad first. So the bad. Uh, The villain ends up being the woman Bruce loved. Now, we find that out at the end, but the plot hole, knowing, knowing the end, is she's flying into Gotham when we first meet Andrea or Andrea Beaumont is her name. But Batman just investigated an attack by the Phantasm in Gotham, uh, the scene before. So the Phantasm is already in Gotham, but Andrea's on the flight beforehand. You have to watch the whole movie in order to, like, understand this plot hole. But I found that quite funny, that her alter ego somehow attacked Gotham prior to her even getting into Gotham. (laughs) Kind of a funny little scene there. Uh, Phantasm isn't uh, isn't overly great. It's not a great villain, but has proper motivation. I do like the design a lot, um, which you can see on the cover that I'm going to be using. You'll be able to see the Phantasm in the background. I think it's the voice that doesn't really work for me. It's just kind of like clouded and like low distorted. I don't know. It just... Nothing really to it, that's all. It's funny when the councilman, Arthur Reed, and Andrea are having dinner, and Batman is on the ledge so close to them, like you can see him in the background. Like, it's so obvious where he is. And uh, they they can't see him. They don't even look to their right once. Like, not once. And he's just sitting on this ledge so close to them. It's kind of funny to think about. The random thugs in this movie are so ridiculous. The things that they say and they laugh about, like calls the guy a sucker and stuff. Like, you're, you're, I'm going to kill you, sucker, and all this stuff. And then they have these like really weird laughs. Just if you watch this movie, sit down and in the scenes where you get the random like miscellaneous thugs, listen to what they say really intently and you'll have a laugh for sure. The face that the crime boss, Valestra, makes when Arthur Reed, the councilman, gets out of the vehicle. And he's like, it's not very alive in here. It's it's so funny. He just looks so disturbed and, like, scared at the same time. I don't know. It's just really weird. And I have a good laugh at that scene. 
The Phantasm's ability to vanish on the spot is very, very unexplainable. Now, I know it's a cartoon from the 90s and, you know, you're going to get those plot holes, but I got to put it in here. The bads need to be recorded on the Comic Book Movie Guys show. So it's in there. It's a minor detail, but yeah, it's not very explainable how the Phantasm can just disappear, like throw some smoke and vanishes into thin air, essentially. My other flaw is Gordon is almost non-existent in this film, uh, which is kind of interesting because, you know, it was a feature film with animation and Gordon was a big part of the animated series. So to not have him be a big player in this, like his, uh, his associate detective Harvey is much more present in this than Gordon is. So I just, you know, I wonder if maybe there was some scheduling conflicts with the voice actor or what the deal was there. Last one, last bad of this movie. Short list. I know Bruce runs kind of funny in his scenes where he's running uh, in the early days. Batman runs okay. He runs normal. But Bruce runs pretty funny when he's going to attack the the villains. Now, that's partially uh, due to animation and stuff, but it's still quite funny if you look at it. And that's it. That's all I have for the bad on this film. Let's get into the good, because this is going to be a fun episode. Now, as I said early on, the most epic Batman music you will ever hear. It's incredible. I have in my note here, it's fucking incredible. That's what I wrote down. Now, I'm moving past the music here because I'm going to touch on it so many times throughout this episode. So I would just want to, that's my first good point, And I'm sure my last good point, the score by Danny Elfman is incredible. And, you know, the operatic theme throughout fits the Gotham architecture, which leads me into my second point, which is the Gotham architecture. It's Darwin Cook, right? It's Darwin Cook animation. So, you know, I absolutely love it. Like if you watch the animated series or just this movie, you're going to see some of the best architecture um, as far as Gotham City goes ever to be created. Like Darwin understood what Gotham should look like, in my opinion. And it was, it's fantastic. Note that this is basically Batman the Animated Series. Uh, it's a version of a movie. And I love that sort of vibe to it. Like, if you haven't watched the Animated Series, you can sit down and watch this movie and maybe think to yourself, hey, the Animated Series is the next thing on my list. I really want to watch that now that I've seen this and seen the incredible, talented voice cast and the animators. They're really on display in this movie. So, it's uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And it should make you want to kind of dive into the animated series because there's a lot of characters, especially villains, from the animated series that don't feature in this. But you get just enough of the taste of the villains that do feature, like especially Joker, um, that you do want more. Kevin Conroy. As everyone knows, if you don't know Kevin Conroy, that's fine. But any sort of rendition of Batman animated, whether that be video games or the animated series or feature films like this one, Kevin Conroy is the greatest Batman voice we will ever get. Batman and Bruce Wayne. He's fantastic. And he just adds so much to that character. And, you know, he's standing behind a microphone. He's not even doing anything live action. So it's it's really, really impressive. And that's what really, quite frankly, makes 
the animated series and these feature films from that animated era so good is the voice casting of Kevin Conroy and obviously Mark Hamill as the Joker. My next good point here is that it's an animated movie, but they still manage to capture better than most the essence of what Bruce is actually feeling in regards to his parents' death. And it's fascinating to me. The idea that they can bring to light those emotions without, you know, having that live action actor on the screen. It's just a huge tip of the cap to the animators and to just Bruce, Tim, and that whole executive staff behind the animated series and behind these movies. Andrea Beaumont. Now, I find that most of Batman's damsels are, you know, they're, they're plot fillers, let's say, uh, especially in the live action. Uh, they're kind of, you know, your typical casting, they're typecasted, and they don't have many well-written lines. But in this movie, Andrea is so well-written, almost as if the creators wrote her as a perfect match for Bruce. It works so well. Batman Begins uh, appears like Christopher Nolan's uh, trilogy. Batman Begins is the first one in that. Uh, I just have here as a note that Batman Begins appears to have drawn some inspiration from Bruce's outfit in the early days of crime fighting uh, with the balaclava and the black outfit, very similar to Mask of the Phantasm. So I I just kind of noticed that as a minor detail in this. Uh, Bruce is actually studying jujitsu throughout the movie you kind of see him uh you know practicing it on the front lawn at Wayne Manor stuff like this um and it just kind of gives you that sort of Batman year one vibe and that's the flashbacks that you see throughout the movie when he originally met Andrea is Batman year one is essentially what they're drawing from I think and it's it's so I almost said fantastic Anyways, uh, overusage of the word fantastic is one of my bad points. (laughs) Anyways, Andrea's outfits are so nice. I have that in here too. And she is. She's quite elegant throughout the whole film. And, uh, you know, as far as animation goes, they they did, um, like, she's a redhead, right? So she kind of pops more in the the animation. And I really like that, that they um, chose to do that sort of, different look like besides poison ivy batman really doesn't have any sort of females in that um in the animated series that are redheads so it was a great choice i love that batman carries a tape recorder throughout this movie and he kind of documents his findings and he does that a lot in the animated series too so they definitely brought a lot of the content from the animated series to this feature film which i think is really important And I really would love to see that in future films of the live action, you know, like in Matt Reeves, the Batman, maybe Robert Pattinson carries around some form of a tape recorder or, you know, a little more advanced since it's going to be present day and uh, just kind of document some findings in one way or another. I really want to see that detective side uh, that we see in this film. The future theme park in this movie is so good. So it's like, uh, the design they chose is like your average theme park, but then they kind of make it this futuristic, um, sort of style with 
you know, robots operating in their own respective sort of, uh, like, what do you call that? When you're going through a theme park and they have like different sort of booths and stuff. Yeah. Like, like a booth with a different robot operating, you know, a cutting board, you know, chopping up meat or something like you see that robot, um, in a living room, kind of like an advanced, it's a very advanced society style, uh, theme park. And I love the design of it. And when Joker takes it over and it becomes kind of like a wasteland over time, it just sort of gives you this vibe that Gotham City started off as one thing and it did turn into something quite dark. And, you know, you see the future so bright and the score matches it so nicely when Bruce takes Andrea for a date there in the early stages to, you know, where the film concludes and you have Joker kind of taking over that theme park and it is dark, rusty, gross, like, and he's living there, obviously. And, you know, he, he's living with this robot essentially and talking to her. It's, oh, it's fantastic. I'm going to say it again. Fantastic's going to be the word of the podcast, I tell you. Um, it gives me Killing Joke vibes at times because he's in a theme park. And, you know, most of Killing Joke, uh, near the end, Joker is in a theme park with his sort of mongoloid helpers and it's yeah it's creepy for sure and this is this is something i wanted to address too with joker um he's the perfect sort of he's threatening he's scary and he's also inviting like when kids watch the animated series there are times where you're going to be really scared of joker and as an adult you're going to be scared of joker in a good way like you really like that sort of more freaky, creepy Joker. But he's also really funny and inviting. And like, I feel like kids can really relate to that sort of laughter and stuff. And the design of him is perfectly, the way they animate him is perfectly scary where they can play with it, right? They can have him be sort of darker at times. And at other times he can be really goofy. All with the simple design that they chose. And I really, you know, I, I give them props to the casting of Hamill because he's so good uh, with his voice of the Joker and he can go from really playful and excited to like really dark and like about to kill you. Bruce deals with legitimate conflict. So important and so intriguing to watch. Even in an animated film, we need Bruce to deal with some form of conflict. And in this movie, it's so legit. He's dealing with the death of his parents, but also dealing with sort of this love conflict with Andrea. And then obviously when you mix in, you know, the Joker in there, it's going to be, it's cause for a major disaster. Great banter throughout between Bruce and Alfred. Bruce discovering the cave is a really awesome scene. You know, he's wearing the classic turtleneck look. He's got the rope over his back and you know a flashlight and he's climbing out of the cave and it's a cave all right you know like the bats are coming from somewhere classic and you know also very similar design to Christian Bale in Batman Begins when he discovers the cave you know he's kind of he's attached to a carabiner he's hanging off the side of the cave and he's discovering it in a similar way to Mask of the Phantasm and obviously Batman Year One in the comic comic book version 
Bruce goes through significant heartbreak with Andrea. Now that's what I'm talking about. And it works really well with the timing where he dons the cape and cowl. It's like one final push into becoming the cape crusader. You know, he was about to commit. He was about to, uh, like he proposed to Andrea. She said yes, you know, and then everything happens with her father and the mob um, where the mob kills her father and that forces her out of town. And therefore Bruce is kind of left hanging uh, in a place where he was, you know, he went to his parents' grave and literally begged them to be, you know, it's different now, he says. Uh, times have changed. Like, I'm in love. Like, I can't have both. I can't fight crime and also have this love of my life that I can't, you know, I, there's a chance I don't come home to her or she's, you know, in trouble. So I just thought the, the heartbreak that he goes through really hits home. And you, when you watch it, it, you can feel his emotion, like I said earlier, in the animation. And it's, it's really, really well done. I have here that I love the scene uh, where he puts on the suit, you know, and he walks by Alfred. The score is just blaring that operatic score. And Alfred says, my God, in shock, Um, chilling, chilling first introductory to, you know, when he dons the cape and cowl. When Sal Valestra, the leader of the mob boss uh, group, visits the Joker for the first time, the movie really takes a turn. Um, Mark Hamill is at his absolute best in this movie. Best Joker ever. Perfectly scary, funny, and perfect laughing. Joker finds himself the funniest in the room. Like, he's, he is there for himself, laughs at his own jokes throughout the whole movie. I love that. Joker's emotions are so unpredictable in this film. He's so, so good. Andrea becomes very wor- a very worthy adversary to Batman, and she uses the dirt uh, she has on Bruce against him when they have dialogue together, once she kind of returns to Gotham and, you know, she knows that he's Batman. She found that out in the early days when they were dating. And, you know, it kind of plays, she plays Bruce a little bit in the sense that like, I know your secrets and, you know, this is just as much my fault that, or this is just as much your fault as it is mine that we aren't together right now. But when Bruce leaves, like he even visits her as Batman a couple of times. And when he leaves, you know, she's heartbroken. She's crying. We see that. And I think it's important to see that emotion from Andrea throughout too. Like it's a very emotionally grounded movie in that sense. We see the Batwing in this. And once again, super cool. When I was a kid, I had that plastic Batwing, the toy from Toys R Us. It was fantastic. (laughs) There it is again, just comes out of me like lava, fucking fantastic. Everything's fantastic. But no, seriously, that toy was one of my favorite toys of all time. And my parents sold it in a garage sale. I couldn't believe it. I would still have this toy to that day. And they probably sold it for two bucks for a toonie. Batman stuck in the skyscraper, broke and bleeding straight out of Batman year one. You know, the cops fire off a grenade launcher round into uh, the top of the building and it explodes. And, you know, Batman's hiding from the cops. He's kind of woozy, bleeding from the head, bleeding from the nose. Like, 
right out of year one. If you watch that, there's like that page of year one is literally in that comic. So I'm glad they added that in here too. When Bruce finds out one of the thugs was Joker, uh, after drawing a smile on the picture of him, oh yes, I forgot about this part. So it takes Bruce a while to kind of put the pieces together in this. He's doing a lot of detective work related to, he's more distracted with Andrea throughout the whole movie. But when he puts together that, hey, Joker was part of the mob before uh, he became Joker, he's looking at a picture of the mobsters, and there's one mobster that's kind of mysterious throughout the movie. We see him a couple of times in flashbacks, and Bruce is literally sitting there, and he says, like, wait a second, and he draws the smile on the picture of this mobster, and all of a sudden you hear Mark Hamill's Joker laugh in the background and Bruce goes, oh no. Like he realizes, holy shit, he was part of the mob too and now I got to deal with this because he, the mobsters probably went to him for help. Um, you know, I have here Joker's top hat and trench coat are so good and it's true. Like he's very similar style to Batman 1989 with Jack uh, Nicholson there where he's, you know, it's kind of that old school retro gangster look. Again, really bright uh, purple colors with the orange accents and stuff. It works way better uh, in animation because you can go into the color sketch a little bit more, right? And he pops. He really pops on screen. It works tremendously well. The Joker gas. Now, Joker visits Arthur Reed, the councilman, who is also a pretty good player in this movie. He He's... Uh, important in the sense that he's kind of dating Andrea when she comes back and he played a bit of a part in selling out her dad to the mob and the mob sent, like they end up killing uh, her dad, right? And Arthur was part of that. He sold him out for money. And uh, there's the scene that I'm talking about here is Joker uh, injects Arthur with the Joker gas and it really shows how much it affects people, how they truly can't take it anymore. And that scene with Arthur in the hospital, um, he's in the bed and he's flailing around. He's just crying. He's laughing so hard and he just can't stop. And, you know, the, the doctors come in and they do sedate him. And he kind of comes down from it a little bit. But then when Batman shows up to interrogate him in the hospital bed, uh, he starts uncontrollably laughing again. And I just really felt the pain that ensues with that Joker gas. So again, classic example of this movie being able to demonstrate emotion through animation. Like I can't stress that enough, how good that is. I have here my next point, Andrea's pain is so well demonstrated in this film. They do such a good job of showing emotions. Next point is not being able to see Joker in his theme park uh, where you can only hear him but not see him is so effective. Classic, awesome Joker stuff. He has so many tricks up his sleeve all the times and that's very much reminiscent of the animated series where he's just a troublemaker. He's doing all kinds of stuff all the time. That's, you know, he's unpredictable. That's what makes him so good is he's unpredictable. We also see the bat bike in this movie. You know, lots of gadgets from Batman. He's obviously, you know, we get to see the contrast of, hey, year one, you know, he's learning jujitsu. He's out there fighting criminals without his 
suit on, but we also get to see him in the future with the tech, all of the tech. And, you know, all of his tech in the animated series that we see in this film is there's similarities in it. It doesn't look like random and different, you know, like his bat wing is very similar to his bat bike and his Batmobile. And, you know, I think that the, the animators, you know, not only is that maybe a little bit easier to keep everything sort of, uh, in the same realm of, uh, design, but also it's, you know, you can have similar functions on each of the bikes and the, the bat wing and stuff like that. So I think the toy line probably made just as much money as this movie did for that reason. Andrea as the Phantasm is a very good villain because she solves her problems through vengeance, similar to Batman. They're so similar uh, with that dynamic. Um, As soon as Batman arrives to the theme park, Joker doesn't even care about Andrea anymore. His focus shifts immediately to Batman. These creators of this show, uh, the animated series, and moving on to these movies, they understand Batman's character so well and you can really tell and they really understand the rogues gallery too and that's just perfectly demonstrated in that scene like his focus goes from Andrea and you know figuring out who the phantasm is I've seen I've seen who the phantasm is I know who the phantasm is to you know Batman's here now let's have some fun I love the scene when Batman is walking through uh, the tiny replica of Gotham City and Joker is disguised as a skyscraper and then the games really begin. Batman finally comes face to face with him and he says that iconic, you know, Kevin Conroy line, Joker. You know, like they meet for the first time and Batman knows what this means. Joker just closes his eyes, smiles real wide and calmly presses (laughs) this little remote and, you know, lets out a little smile and a laugh. It's so awesome. And, you know, when he presses that button on the remote, the, like I said, the games begin. It, it just, the movie starts to really show you that, like, Joker is full of surprises and tricks. Mark Hamill's Joker laugh, as I've talked about already, it builds and builds and builds in the third act. He's such a voice talent, and he's just at a whole other level in this film. The third act, you know, Joker just steals the whole movie, in my opinion. Batman is willing to kill them both, if that's what it takes. I love that line. Let me go or we'll both die, whatever it takes. You know, that like Batman's holding on to Joker as he's flying through the air on a jetpack. <laughs> Which, by the way, that shows you just how many different tricks Joker has up his sleeve. He just all of a sudden he's strapped to a jetpack and he's flying through the air and Batman's grabbing onto him for dear life. And yeah, that's when Joker delivers that line, you know, let me go or we'll both die. And then Batman says whatever it takes, you know, which is that's that's Batman and Joker for you right there. And you know, very few um versions of Batman are willing to also kill Joker. Like he doesn't want to kill Joker. You know, he, he wants Joker around just as much as 
Joker wants him around because they're, you know, Joker thinks he's too much fun. So I like that line a lot. It shows that Batman is willing to do anything. He's desperate. When Andrea takes Joker and the theme park exploded, it's so powerful. Joker starts laughing hysterically and the score peaks. Batman screams Andrea and the, the climax of the movie is here. It's so powerful for animated movies and beautiful score, beautiful animation, beautiful voice acting. Now that's the note I have written down, but I did add that exact moment that I just described at the beginning of this podcast. So like I said, if you wanted to go back, you can listen to that same moment. I have it mixed in there uh, with the intro theme. So, and you know what? That is my favorite scene in this movie. Joker looks around and he can just see the destruction that he's created and he just starts laughing hysterically, you know, like it's all a big joke and it's so funny to him. And Batman is, you know, seeing the love of his life for the last time in that scene. Just a perfect climax to a very, very strong casted movie. When Bruce finds Andrea's locket, uh, at the end of the film, you know, she's hidden it somewhere in the Batcave for him. To, I find that scene really powerful because we do know that she survived. And, you know, the next scene we see her on this boat. And um, she's, there's a drunken guy coming out of the party, essentially, on this cruise ship. And he comes beside her and he's like, he's like, you know, beautiful night out there. And she says, yeah, I guess, kind of thing, really sad. And he says to her, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, like, do you want to be alone, he says. And she says, I am alone. And, you know, in that moment, I start to get chills again because they are the same. They are one in the same, Batman and Andrea. And that's why she's such a good love interest for him. They're both alone. They're split personalities, right? Like, both driven by vengeance. And then obviously, you know, this film can't go to can't go to the credits without Batman standing on the rooftop staring at the bat signal with the hauntingly beautiful score from Danny Elfman just again major climax the film concludes with him swinging into the night and you know that's that's it it's it's as simple as that <laughs> that's that's my final good note you know it says this right here. It says, Batman standing on the rooftop, staring at the bat signal, swings into the night. What a film. All right, it's conclusion time. Batman Mask of the Phantasm 1993, an animated movie presenting the characters from Bruce Timm and Darwin Cook's Batman the Animated Series. Does this animated movie have enough to draw you in and enjoy? Is this your typical Saturday morning cartoons? Does the comic book movie guy good outweigh the comic book movie guy bad let's find out so as we did at the beginning of the episode comic book movie guy bads are going to come first now as you know there was very few bads in this movie comic book movie guy bads eight points now that is stretching reaching for eight points looking through the movie a couple of times it's only uh an hour and 16 minutes so I was looking for any flaw that I could find, and I came up with eight. So that tells you something. Comic book movie guy, Goods, 36 points. So let's get into the final summary. 
at a whopping 36 good points to a mere 8 bad points, this film passes every test. At a runtime of only an hour and 16 minutes, this film is a must-watch for Batman fans. The voice cast soars, the animation is on point, and Batman Mask of the Phantasm has a storyline that is intriguing to even a casual fan. While Kevin Conroy's Bruce Wayne Batman is the voice actor we deserve, Mark Hamill's Joker is one of the best versions of the character you will ever see. The film's score adds an element of drama and power. I can rarely often say this about an animated film, but this film could be watched in theaters and enjoyed at a cinematic level experience. Comic Book Movie Guy Final Score, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, 10 out of 10. All right, that about does it for this episode of the segment series, The Scale. Next week, we're going to be tackling Batman Forever, 1995. Now, that's going to be a fun one because that's the Joel Schumacher era. Now, Joel came in with a very different objective and a very different style to the Batman movies. For me personally, it's a trip down memory lane. It's nostalgic. I'm going to have so much fun sitting down and looking for the good and the obvious bad in these movies. You know, I, I'm so excited to do this next segment because, like I've said in previous episodes, Batman Forever is my favorite Batman movie from the 90s era. Um, and it's going to be kind of interesting to me to see where it falls on my comic book movie guy final score because it's not going to beat the score of Mask of the Phantasm, that's for sure. But it's going to show you something. It's going to show you something interesting that you can have a favorite movie that doesn't have to score 10 out of 10. Now, what's interesting is, even though this week we tackled an animated film, next week's movie is live action, but maybe feels a little bit more like an animated film than this film did. So, you know, that's going to be an interesting dynamic, and I'm, I'm really excited to, you know, dive into that version of Gotham City, Batman, and the world that we love so much in a different light. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you to anyone who's out there listening to this podcast and enjoying the segment series. I hope that the scale gives you some perspective and, you know, allows you to go back and maybe find your own flaws in a movie, find your own good points. And, you know, for me personally, it allows me to enjoy the movie even more than I did the first time. So thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode of Comic Book Movie Guy segment series, The Scale, Batman Forever. I'll see you next time, guys. Take care. From your secret friend. Underneath the bridge. Who? Top Having a clue. Let's play a game. Just me and you. Any of this mean anything to you? <laughs>